This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. This week's episode is brought to you by Harry's, the shaving company that's fixing shaving. Go to harrys.com slash mugglecast to get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. That's harrys.com slash mugglecast. Welcome to MuggleCast, episode 319. I am here alongside just one other host this week. Who is it? I don't know, Eric. Who is it? Who is it going to be? <laughs> well, Micah and Eric, myself, it's a two-man show. It is. Andrew. Andrew is on holiday. How's that for... Uh... <laughs> Tying back oh, to the last man. few episodes. What holiday is he selling? No, he's on holiday. He's on the holiday. No, that's not he's... really true uh, either. Uh, he is uh, in the process of uh, making a move, uh, geographically speaking, and uh, wasn't able to uh, to join us this week. So we uh, had to step in and, and just uh, take care of things here. Show must go on after all, but uh, he sends his wishes... Actually, uh, for those of you following on Patreon or those of you who follow him on Twitter, uh, Andrew posted a little life update today. He found a restaurant in Utah called The Thunderbird. Yeah, I I saw this uh, actually just as I was uh, logging into Patreon before sitting down to record. And uh, what I actually want to know the answer to is it says it is the home of of the homemade pie, right? Am I am I reading that correctly? I that is what the sign says. Yes, but when it says homemade, it says oh, well. it's it's spelled H O hyphen M A D E. Mm. So well, there's also I'm, a very provocative um, image below <laughs> that copy. So yeah, yeah. But the best part of this sign is the Thunderbird, which is perched atop this maj- this majestic looking. Like mahogany, like a wooden, you know, fake yeah. wooden, thick sign. So, but it's 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 a neon bird. Yeah. Well, what I'm thinking is Frank moved from Phoenix to to Utah oh. to open. Uh, well, maybe it's not. I mean, I don't know how long Thunderbirds generally live, but probably uh, a thousand years. Oh well, in that case, it could be his <laughs> restaurant. I mean, we're only talking about the 1920s here, but maybe maybe it's a family chain. Maybe Frank Jr. and and whatever comes after the junior. third and, and yeah, and yeah, Frank exactly. The, <laughs> the third and the fourth have opened Father up this uh, great restaurant in, in the mm-hmm. middle of Utah. And uh, Andrew uh, got the chance. And so we're going to have to ask him about the pie on the next episode. And, and I'm going to be severely disappointed in him if, if he, did he didn't not try. try the pie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is so this is Thunderbird Restaurant. Actually, he tagged us in on Twitter and a picture of his receipt but uh as a result i was able to find out where this is in utah it's in mount carmel junction mm. uh and there you know there may be more than one shop not sure but this thunderbird restaurant which has just the coolest coolest looking thunderbird icon on the receipt as well in mount carmel junction U- utah all right so yeah really hope he tried the pie if not, I mean, <laughs> honestly, like this, this is a place that I would go to instantly, and I think that. Now wait, um, you said he showed us the receipt. 
Now, mm. th- is there any pie listed on the receipt? No, he didn't. Sh- he didn't show us because I'm sure I'm sure he's hiding his credit card, like the last four oh. of his credit. <laughs> so he didn't. Right. It's not itemized. Uh, it's just the top of the receipt. Well, and it we'll says get to his the server was. It. Yeah, it said his server is Nikki. Uh, he's eating alone, and it was 11:52 a.m. So I'm sure he was in there for lunch. But right, uh, but Andrew's moving cross country, but still. He, he actually, the cool story, which he told on Patreon, is that he was walking into a restaurant for lunch, and he looked across the street and happened to see this place. So this and this place, it's not even like it's so it's so flamboyantly Harry Potter. Like it's absolutely one hundred percent, you know, the Thunderbird. It's what there are the on chances? the side. No, I mean, in all seriousness, I know we do a a Potter podcast, but mm-hmm. what what are legitimately the chances that you would happen across um, a diner? called the thunderbird uh, it's it's astronomical i, I mean i want to know what what if he was just going to go to like a chipotle or a cracker but like what's across the street from this mm-hmm. that he was going to go into the actually niffler. wait i have i have the address i can look at yeah he was he was going to go into the niffler but the thunderbird won out well i'm sure more on this developing story folks um <laughs> yeah but, we have some real news to get to uh although yeah. to me that's uh that's just as interesting uh, a couple of news stories here at the top of the show, and then we're going to talk about uh, Jacob to Jacob continue Kowalski. our uh, character discussions. We started uh, last episode uh, with Queenie, and we have uh, some listener feedback uh, on that discussion. We'll get to that as well. Uh, but two news stories here that um, Eric, I think, yeah. you thought warranted discussion, and I agree. Uh and and the first is that the cursed child has apparently been filmed. Now, do you want to uh, ex- explain that a little bit? Yeah. So a show of uh, a showing of cursed child at the theater in the West End has been filmed. So they set up cameras. Uh, news came in. Andrew reported it on Hypeable that uh, and and he has the tweet from live from the Thunderbird live live. <laughs> Um, it, but it was a, it was at a taping. They just had to you have to tell people when you're recording, and it was simply that signs were put up at the theater saying today's performance is being filmed for archive purposes. It was a guy called uh, a person called Jordan Simmons who at replied hypeable on Twitter, and also the Rolling Library on Twitter had a different shot of the camera itself. So, and it's a pretty. I mean, I don't really know from looking at it, but it looks like a pretty heavy-duty camera. And uh, they're essentially filming it, the sign says, for archive purposes. So this is a this is a natural sort of thing to expect around this time of year because all of the original cast of The Cursed Child after what I'm sure is close to uh, hundred, well, several hundred performances is about to run out their, their contracts. And so what you'll what you'll have when you go see The Cursed Child is different performers than the original cast. But they seem to be recording it um, for posterity. Uh, and, and so there will be, for whatever that means, uh, a filmed version of uh, yesterday's play, of yesterday's mm-hmm. performance of Harry Potter and The Cursed Child, which I assume was a combined performance of parts one and two. Right. So what this means, everybody, is that the owl uh, is officially retiring. He will not make. <laughs> it's a little late for that. <laughs> oh, 
Oh. That was just well, one anyway. show. You know it was just one show. It was just it was the one show that Andrew made it to, right? Yeah, well, because he was in the first ever preview. Ah, that guy and his luck. Um, but uh, but yeah, what it means is if they ever had wanted to release uh, a videotape, um, at least we know that physically one was one exists. That one mm. was taken. That this footage right. has been captured. People saw it. It's been captured with an audience, so you would even get the laughter and the tears. And, you know, I mean, rather than doing sort of a, an undercover performance where nobody's in the audience and it's just, you know, to get it. I mean, these this is all officially done. It's all above board uh, here that they are filming it. But mm-hmm. the the point, I guess, is that no official plans have been uh, announced. Of course not. Yeah. Not right now. But there's a very good chance that down the line when this show is no longer uh, in the West End or on Broadway that they could release a, a sort of, I want to call it a movie, but but you know a, a DVD or a Blu-ray of, yeah. of either of those productions. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not as well versed in, in that area, but I, I would assume that, that, that they do that sort of thing with, with Broadway plays. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's also an opportunity uh, down the road, of course, for people who may have wanted to see uh, Cursed Child but can't make it to London or, or can't make it to New York for any number of reasons. And so it, it gives those fans the, the opportunity to because we've we've spoken so much uh, on this podcast in particular about how, you know, Cursed Child is an experience. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you, you take the story and there's a lot to be said about that, a lot of criticism. But to actually go and to experience Cursed Child uh, is a completely different. Yeah, it, it's a completely different type of situation. It's like going to the theme park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've made that comparison on the show before. You know, you're 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 going for the experience of it. You're not necessarily going for the the plot. Uh, and and mm-hmm. so I think that it's a very good chance that this gets released somewhere down the line and um, wouldn't be surprised if, if it's made available online, uh, maybe for free. That would be nice. Uh, that would be nice. Maybe, I don't know, I, I say that, but then I think if, if I paid to get a ticket to go see this uh, in London or New York, I probably wouldn't want to just be able to jump well, onto Pottermore and, and watch it. Yeah, free. hypothesizing with you, I mean, it would probably be like a $5 viewing ticket, but it would go to Lumos. Yeah, I, I, that I think is is cool because then it then it opens it up, you know, to to the international um fan who will never otherwise make it to London. Would, yeah. would never get the opportunity, exactly. Yeah, so, well, and I mean I mean I will say though there are also very uh, there are a lot of internal reasons to have a film uh, a video of this as well. Uh the costume department, future actors, uh future producers actually to who may want to do a unique or different take. The other thing is that as Cursed Child goes on in its longevity as a stage play uh, and a production, the the British production is is one way of doing things. But, you know, frankly, it's a play. It's an organic sort of thing. The New York play might want to be, do or, or, you know, can compose a scene differently. Maybe they'll give the owl a second chance in New York um, or they'll use pigeons. Uh, so... It's it's it can be anything. I mean, I I think there's a lot of internal reasons why they would have, uh, and 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 the sign does say for archive purposes. I mean, I mean, I 
I think that can be as misleading as as we want it to be. I, I you know our imaginations are sparked. It will be exciting to see this film with the original the original cast. Um, you know, and, and because it's it's a moment in time, and it's it's probably got to be one of the best selling. Certainly nine uh, nine Olivier Awards uh, winning play. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree, and and so uh, we'll continue to uh, keep an eye on that video and see uh, exactly where uh, it ends up over the course of the next several months, year, however long it takes. But mm-hmm. uh, we'll be able to look back on episode three nineteen and say we told you so. <laughs> so uh, one other bit of news. That's all. That, uh, that's the only reason we do this podcast, anyway, right? Is to years later come back and say, yeah, "Right, I told you so." Yeah, we got. We have twelve years of uh, episodes to point back to, <laughs> and to be proven wrong about. So mm-hmm. you know, why not prove ourselves right every once in a while? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel good about it, but uh, yeah, we are actually uh, today. We're recording on May fourth, which is uh, Star Wars Day for. <laughs> Most of us nerds out there. May the fourth be uh, with you, Micah. Yes, and you. Mm. Those were not the nifflers I was looking for. <laughs> but uh, another key date uh, in the Harry Potter series happened just a few days prior to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, May 2nd, um, going all the way back to 1998, if you're staying with the, uh, the Potter timeline, was uh, the Battle of Hogwarts. And uh, J.K. Rowling has made it customary now for the last three years to apologize uh, (laughs) for killing a particular character uh, in the Potter series, uh, specifically related to the Battle of Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. And um, I, for one, and I've said this um, when we've talked about it on older episodes, I don't like this. Hmm. I, I, okay, go on. So, and, and, you know, feel free to jump in, but I personally feel that you wrote the series, you you did it with the intention of knowing that certain characters would not make it through mm-hmm. uh, till the end, mm-hmm. and that in many cases uh, their passings furthered the plot mm-hmm. and 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 led to certain important events, especially with the character that she uh, apologized for this year, which was Severus Snape, and so uh, you know. I, I won't go to sort of the extent I feel like other people will in terms of criticizing it. Uh, I, I see that, you know, that for some people there is a need uh, to, to know that she feels sorry for killing Fred and then she feels sorry for killing Lupin and now she feels sorry for killing Snape. No, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, no, just stand by it. Stand by it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's no reason to apologize. You know, give us give us another uh, in important fact or or piece of information that we didn't learn while reading Deathly Hallows uh, related to the Battle of Hogwarts on May 2nd. Don't apologize for yeah. uh, character deaths because we knew they were coming and, and clearly she felt a very strong need to include them in the series. Yeah, well it, it is a very intentional thing to write a character death and I don't assume that any one of them were easy for her to write. She's told this story before about breaking down in her kitchen and her husband holding her, um, you know, wet because of a death. Wasn't that in the holiday too? uh, (laughs) That's also a scene directly from the holiday. J.K. Rowling actually plagiarized a large part of that movie. Everyone needs to see it. Um, 
But uh, yeah, but but she's she's spoken before at length of you know being being completely moved by having to kill a character, and we understand like these characters were in her head for twenty years, um, you know, longer than they were in any of our heads. Uh, but I, there, it's a very intentional act to kill a character, and I w- I will say like. What this has given rise to is almost a, a a monster of its own, and it's sort of kind of like an obscurial at times. Uh, I'll go into what I what I mean about that. So at at first, I my personal opinion is I thought this was cute at first. Um, you know, she apologized for Fred, and and Fred's death has really affected a lot of people, and it's one of those deaths. You know, it happens off screen in the film. It doesn't even get the proper film adaptation. And a lot of people are, are really upset about it. And, you know, Fred's death, Fred's kind of one of those those characters where you're just like, that's a real shame he died. I really wish he had lived. And same with Lupin. Like, Lupin too. like, I, I want Lupin to have survived the battle. So hearing an apology from Joe. Um, oh, of course. Does, does, it, does it help, like, sort of? It's like, hey, you killed this character that I loved. He could still be alive, but he's not because of you. And then you apologize, and it's like it's not like real life where like an apology wouldn't mean anything because she's the one who who killed it. Like, oh, I, I guess I kind of feel better. But the interesting thing that's happened and how it's evolved is Snape is a really controversial character, which I'm, I'm not saying anything new that we don't know on on this uh, on this podcast here. But but Snape, so many people, and I would say most people this time around are saying, wait a minute, really, you're apologizing. For Snape, Mashable uh, Proma over at Mashable wrote, uh, "J.K. Rowling apologizes for killing a garbage human," uh, and the article is about how much of a garbage human Snape is because he's awful. He's awful to Harry. He's awful to the students. He's a bad teacher. He's a bad influence. He's possessive of his love for Lily. He's an awful character, and that's that. J.K. Rowling apologizes for killing Snape made everyone question two days ago. Who else? You know, should she have apologized? Like, there's a hierarchy. Voldemort. Of, there's a hierarchy of who you Bellatrix. want. Bellatrix. Yeah, there's a hierarchy uh, of who you want her to apologize for, right? And uh, Andrew, of course, our beloved uh, co-host, took took it upon himself to tweet, uh, "J.K. Rowling has yet to apologize for killing a woman oh. <laughs> on his Twitter," and I was just like, "Oh my God, the fire, man, the fire here!" Like, yeah, stoking, I'm not gonna, yeah touch that one um <laughs> yeah let andrew uh handle that all by himself mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i agree with you lupin was probably my favorite character uh in the entire series and i accepted what jk rowling gave as an explanation in that she wanted to have a piece of the story come full circle so in both lupin and tonks being killed in the battle of hogwarts you had mm-hmm. teddy their son become an orphan much like Harry uh, becomes an orphan uh, at, at the very beginning of the series, we learn about mm-hmm. uh, what happened to his parents. So while I may not like it, that's what she wrote. And and so to go back and to apologize for it, you know, and, and then this year, you know, I think we forget how much um, Alan Rickman was able to endear Snape to so many. Very much so. Um, fans and and so he brought you know a quality to the character that even though you may not have liked Snape 
you kind of did at the end of the day because it, you know, there, there was a certain humor about him too, right? The way that he was written um, in some of these movies, you know, it was it was kind of slapstick sort of comedy. And, yeah. and you know, I'm thinking about when he's you know like rolling up his sleeve and he's smacking yeah, Ron yeah. and Harry on the back of the head. <laughs> it's not typical to read anything like that in in the books, but yet there it was in the movies. And mm. so, uh, I I just go back to the the original point that I'm not a big fan of of making these sort of apologies because I'm not sure what it achieves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it stirs the pot, uh, and it, it gets certainly some media attention thrown to it. Mm-hmm. But I would much rather get some piece of information that we didn't know, um, you know, on May second every year, as opposed to a I'm sorry, uh, you know, and and yeah, I I would just uh, say that uh, save those tweets for um, more valuable information. Well, I and I, I think that's fair, um, but this ultimately is a way that J.K. Rowling has chosen to interact with her fans. Uh, I assume people were reminding her, um, you know, to do it the day of. But uh, yeah, I don't know. She went she went straight for Snape. Um, Visit The Cursed Child uh, in West End and coming soon to New York if you want to see more Snape. (sighs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'd like to take a moment now to thank our sponsor for this episode, Harry's. I've talked about this once before on the show, but I've been using Harry's razors for about eight months now, and I love the closeness of the shave as well as how good my skin feels after shaving with their shave cream. Harry's was started from the ground up by two guys, Jeff and Andy, who were fed up with getting ripped off by big razor companies. They knew the only way they could ensure quality and to fix the problems that they saw was to buy their own blade factory, which they did. So by taking less profit and selling to customers directly over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. So you'll be able to get blades at just $2 compared to the $4 or more you'll get at the drugstore. So they're really sticking it to the big razor companies who've relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits throughout the years. So Harry's is so confident that you will love their blades, as am I and Micah, that they're giving all of our listeners a trial set of razors for free, excluding shipping. The trial set includes a weighted, ergonomic razor handle, five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, which I love, and a travel blade cover, which I use all the time. So that's a $13 value for you to try. You've just got to pay shipping. So stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. To get your free trial set, including razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash mugglecast right now. That's harrys.com slash mugglecast. We thank Harry's for their support of our show. Well, as mentioned at the uh, top of the show, we did get some uh, listener rebuttals, uh, some tweets, some emails uh, off of last week's episode, uh, including uh, some response to the discussion that we had about Queenie. Yeah. And um, we heard from Anique, who said, I think Queenie revealing her powers to Newt uh, wasn't trust. It was a power play. Everyone always underestimates Queenie. I completely agree with this. Um, getting Newt to stay in their house is a power play, and it it shows it shows him that he's not the smartest person in the room, and that he has to be accountable 
to these people for his actions. And I just I think it's a foreign concept. Well, know. even if he was the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. she can read his mind. So yeah, it he's not matter. he's not in charge. Like he can't just do whatever he wants. Exactly. You know, there's social rules, the niceties to be observed. They gave him cocoa for crying out loud. I know, but I agree. I agree 100 percent with Anik. Yes. Uh, also heard from Becky, who said, "I can't see Queenie wanting to be an Auror. That would involve delving into the dark, and she seems to want to live in the light." Yeah. So we speculated last uh, episode why Queenie's coworkers do not seem to know. It's not widely known that she can read minds. Everyone's very surprised. She's able to trick everyone at the ministry, which helps them during the plot of the movie. But uh, as a result, she has sort of a a low job on the totem pole as opposed to her sister. Whereas if she used her power, she applied herself, she could be an Auror or even, as you said, Micah, in Graves' position um, or higher within the ministry. And I think that uh, Becky brings up an interesting point that you know, perhaps it's Queenie's general sunny disposition that means she chooses actively not to um, become an Auror or because she would be forced to do things like interrogate people, and they'd be bad people. She'd be reading the thoughts of convicted felons and, and all sorts of other horrible things. Yeah, that, that is a great point. I think that uh, she would be in a very difficult position, and you don't know what that opens her up to either, uh, whether it's from uh, Makuza or others. Uh, you know, in, in, in terms of you know, does she have to become officially registered as a legilimens yeah. and have to be written down somewhere so that you know, anywhere she goes, it's it's noted that she has the ability to read minds. And again, that can be used for both good and bad. And mm-hmm. I think that you know, we're meant to think a little bit about that moving ahead to future films in terms of how could her abilities work, not just for Newt and you know, sort of their quartet, but potentially Grindelwald and, and others uh, that she may come in contact with that we haven't met yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, finally, we have uh, an email, actually, that we got from Bianca on the subject of Queenie, who wrote in, Hey guys, love the show. I was listening to the most recent episode where you talked about Queenie's character. I had a few thoughts of my own. First, to possibly answer the question of why her legitimacy is different from Snape's, I wonder if it has been considered that her form of this power is an innate part of her makeup because it is hereditary. Much as you can change the way you appear with magic, there are also metamorph magi who possess this skill innately from birth. I think the discrepancy between innate skill and learned skill we see is remarkably similar and would go a long way to explaining a lot of questions we have. Um, Tied to that thought, I wanted to offer an alternative response to why Queenie does not reveal her powers to the wider wizarding world. I think her motivation is not to be defined by her ability— it most likely defined her childhood and in a negative light, and she did not want that spilling into her adult life and relationships. To take it a step further, if the skill was hereditary, she may have also received advice from one of her parents or a relative, or there even could be a cautionary tale told to members of the family who inherit the skill, which may have influenced her choice. If you don't agree with the hereditary point, then also consider that Queenie is exceptionally bright and empathetic. She knows that were she to reveal her power, she would be placed high in the ministry, but would almost certainly be forced to probe the minds of terrible people and to use her power in ways that she did not agree with. Thanks for reading, Bianca. Yeah. 
uh, th- so consistent with what you just said. Mm. Um, so thank you, Bianca, all the way from uh, British Columbia. So British Columbia appreciate uh, our British Columbia fan uh, listeners. I should say Canadian <laughs> listeners. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Uh, and and but also the metamorphosis. She's great to point that out. That that is a thing that's absolutely in Harry Potter. We knew about it already because Tonks. You know that person that J.K. Rowling is sorry or not sorry for killing um, was born a metamorphosis and not yet anyway. Not yet anyway. Uh, it was not as important as Snape, that garbage human. Uh, and she, um, you know, is able. She tells Harry, I think it's over the table at Grimald Place that you could learn to transfigure your face and sort of be a learned metamorph magi, but she was born one, and there's there is a difference there. There is sort of a Again, right. hi- hierarchy, and and I think we touched a little bit on this in the last episode when we we're talking about Snape and uh, his ability to be a legilimens. Mm. I think is somewhat. I don't know if it's self-taught, but it is. It, it seems at least to be taught. Like I, you yeah. know, when you because of the way that he's interacting with Harry, he's trying to get him to block, you know, him him getting inside of his mind, and so. Um, his ability to sort of penetrate Harry's mind seems to be something that he's learned over time. Um, I could be wrong. I mean, Snape well, could have been born in Legilimens, but it, it, it's never stated that way. And, and you know, Harry has moments um, throughout the series where he senses that Snape is, is reading his mind. But is that because Snape was born in Legilimens or Snape right. has acquired the ability uh, of of legitimacy, it, it's you don't know. And it it so... appears very much to be a spell that Snape is casting. Now, now Snape is casting nonverbal spells at times as well, um, mm. which is further sort of muddying the waters of what does this look like. But it's very much in the classroom setting, seeming to be a spell that Snape has to consciously cast to get inside Harry's head, and Harry is forced to to live whatever whatever Snape is pulling. Um, which is different, you know, than than how right. it works for for Teenie. Whereas Queenie or Queenie, yeah, Queenie is 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 born with this ability and and she can't turn it off. Right. That's made apparently clear uh, in Fantastic Beasts. And whereas you don't really see Snape walking around and and being able to, uh, you know, read James's mind or Sirius's right, mind or, right. or, or, or any of their well. And um, think about all lies. the times Harry lies to him and the trio lies to him and and literally Snape would be the angriest and most righteous person, and he'd always be right if he could read people's minds. So I think it's pretty straightforward that he is not of a, of, of Queenie's uh, level of legilimens. It, it's also interesting, the second part of what she said, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in that Queenie doesn't want to be defined by her abilities, and, and yeah. it reminds me of the, the very famous Dumbledore line, right? It is our choice. Uh, right? right, Far more than our abilities. Um, so I, Ben does a much better job than the, of that than I do. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my Dumbledore is not as good as my Southern Hagrid. It's so not. I apologize. com slash Mubblecast. But, you know, f- further down, she talks about how this could be something that she was brought up to, tr- to sort of do a good job of, of, of managing and, and knowing when to reveal the ability of legitimacy to other people, right? We talked a little bit about how, you know, when Newt and Jacob show up with Jacob, it's because I think there's immediate trust there. Yeah. With Newt, it is very possible that it is a power play, but you, given the times that they are growing up in, 
and the circumstances under which uh, the political climate uh, is, it's, it's very possible that anybody who exhibits these abilities that you know, are outside the norm are, are told to you know, kind of keep it quiet. And yeah, I, I, I can believe that. I can see that that could definitely be a possibility. Yeah, I, I love the idea that it's an inherited thing and that, uh, you know, just it just as uh, being a seer is presumably a genetic thing. Um, Sybil Trelawney is uh, related to a distant seer who was also very uh, influential and important. You know, magical blood. It is, after all, your blood that makes you magic. And it makes sense that if you have a magical ability, uh, that that would be passed down the the gene line as well. If you're pre- if you have a disposition for being a certain way magically. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thanks to everyone who sent in uh, their thoughts on last week's discussion. But now it's time to uh, talk about Jacob Kowalski, who uh, I think is fair to say, uh, at least in my mind is the lifeblood of Fantastic Beasts and uh, played extremely well by Dan Fogler. Yes. Uh, and before we jump into this discussion, though, I, Eric, I wanted to ask you this. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't have to be three things, but maybe just some words. W- what comes to mind immediately without thinking too hard mm-hmm. when you say the name Jacob? Like meaning Jacob from Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, unless you there's another Jacob you know that you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's also Jacob from Lost just, and no, I'm like different no, dudes, no, 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 no. different dudes. Not, not not the not just the name, but yeah, yeah. Jacob from Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> G- like, genuine. It, it, you, genuine. Okay. That's All right. yeah, genuine, funny, uh and and unassuming. Those are the mm-hmm. three those are the three traits that okay. I that I get for Jacob. How 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 about you? So, uh, I mean, I obviously, I had the, um, you know, I, I obviously thought through this, since, uh, but I put you on the spot a little bit. Um, <laughs> I thought constant liability. Constant uh, liability. And and that's probably a little bit more on the the darker side of things. <laughs> that's and, awful. And, and, and <laughs> well, and I, I, no, but I will say I agree with, with all the points that you made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, genuine, unassuming, funny. Uh, I think more so as it relates to the overall plot though i think constant liability because so you're looking at this from the wizard's perspective of this is a guy yeah. who shouldn't even be here Ex- exactly and you know th- this ties in a little bit one, one of my um my coworkers raised this and and i think it allows us to have a little bit of a larger conversation is you know the direction of these future films right mm. So much focus was made on the beasts in in movie one, mm-hmm. but do we really know the direction that we're taking here over the course of five films? Like, th- there's still four more movies to make, right? And you've left Jacob in a bakery um, in New York City with supposedly very limited recollection of what's just happened to him. Sure, and to me. What is it that that he offers that could be of any value? Well, well, to in this the overall plot moving. Well, forward? look, in this film, I, we, we first of all, we have to have a character discussion 
about his merits to this film. Am I going too far? No, 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 no. I, I love this question. I love this. We have to absolutely talk about all of the amazing things that he does uh, for the quartet, in the quartet, for the plot of this film. Uh, absolutely, there are hundreds of things that, that he does. I'm going to get hate mail now. But no, 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 no. But I, th- but I think it's absolutely, the, you know, the biggest question on our minds coming out of Fantastic Beasts is, you know, to what extent will he be involved with the quartet in the future? Because they honestly could have left him with a, with a clean break. They could have had a clean break and allowed his memory to be completely wiped. You know, we'll talk about exactly why it wasn't completely, but... It it clearly was not. Um, he remembers the beasts. He has turned them into his concoctions. Even even the fact that he has a bakery is Newt's doing, uh, because Newt bumps into him after they already say goodbye. Bumps into him and gives him the Akami shell, the silver Akami shells for collateral for the bank. And this is this is Jacob's challenge throughout this whole film was to to really become his own man and open his own business because. He, he's working a dead-end job. He got back from the war two years ago. He, you know, has not really found his place. He hasn't He hasn't settled. If you look at the deleted scenes, he's trying to have a relationship, and because he has no money, his girlfriend leaves him. Like, he, he cannot provide. He cannot be the man that he wants to be, mm-hmm. and, and Newt has helped, him, has helped him be this way. So, but, but consequently then, does, does owning the bakery mean that he has roots now in America and you know now that he owns a business and has fulfilled his potential is his character arc done and is his character arc e- even though Queenie and he will continue to have uh, I believe uh, you know positive relationship in some aspect or the other can you really see something going really way wrong in Paris and having Queenie and Tina get called in by Newt to go help and then they think to bring Jacob along I'm not sure that's realistic. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so it begs the larger question of how he will fit into the the plot moving forward. Mm-hmm. And and I but to take a step back, I do like what you were saying because to me Jacob is really all of us, right? It Yeah. It, and and Haman does a, a great job pointing this out. Yeah. Um which y- you mentioned here um, on the Blu-ray special features, he says, can you imagine walking into the wizarding world as someone who's never witnessed or experienced magic before? That sense of wonder, that sense of how extraordinary it is, is seen, is felt through Jacob. And yeah, f- for any of us, I mean, this is the first time in any of the Potter films that we have a main character who is... A nomad who is a muggle. Yeah. And you know, look, Vernon Dursley and 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 Petunia and and Dudley, they don't count in my mind. No, no, no. I mean, well, they they're all the awful same. character. Well, it's just like Hufflepuffs. This film shows the first Hufflepuff you can get behind. If you believe what happened to Cedric Diggory and Cursed Child, uh, you can no longer get behind that character. Uh, so it's like, hey, this is this is this film was was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Like. I was watching this the other day to to make up you know some of these notes and stuff and because I knew we'd be doing all these character discussions and it's like I love that this film exists because there's actually so much that it accomplishes for Muggles for uh, Hufflepuffs for adults in the Wizarding world it's too. Just checking the box for you one after the it's other. It's really right? yeah Muggles no. and Muggle Hufflepuff. It's me. 
Um, but but what yeah. I also like though is that with everything that is going on throughout the the movie, you have Jacob, who is you know, sort of the antithesis of the second Salemers, right? Yeah, and so it, it's it's showing a completely different side of normal human beings, and yeah. And that they can interact with the magical world and they can get along with this community and the magical world can be exposed to people and and there doesn't have to be conflict and there doesn't have to be strife and all these other things you know what i mean that's that's actually an incredible point calling him the antithesis of the of the second salemers you know he's not a person that fears magic he's not a person that fears change or difference and i mean he almost gets boned by an erumpen <laughs> Boned is a good way to put it because of that horn. I assume it's made of bone. Um, but yeah, the the the, the idea of Jacob, um, you know, really falling in love with magic, as I think all of us readers of the books for years, really, mm-hmm. you know, relating yeah, to. That's why I said he is us. He is us. He is absolutely us. But the idea that there wasn't us before that Harry was I mean Harry was a degree or two of separation away from us um in that not only was he a wizard and could do magic and we couldn't but despite the fact that we were seeing the series through his eyes he also had a hero's journey to get off to and was required to do these crazy feats that none of us would ever be asked to do as well Jacob is just your regular guy and he and like full stop like I think What's just so interesting, though, is because of the of the portrayal of Dan Vogler's portrayal of Jacob. But the way the way that Jacob is written in this film as well to be so getting back to it genuine. Um, And this is this is this has J.K. Rowling all over it. Um, But I also think that, you know, this was probably something that very much evolved during the process. But I want to get into when we first meet Jacob in the film and it's it's the very beginning of the movie when he's arriving at the bank. Now, Tina is there because she's spying on Mary Lou Barebones, who's there, and it just so happens that they've they've the second Salemers have chosen the front of the bank to to be telling their long and and complicated cautionary tale about wizards are real. And Newt is there as well, and so you have this situation where you know Newt shows up. Passes through the crowd, passes Tina. Moments later, Jacob's coming up with a very similar suitcase, bumps into Newt, uh, and, you know, it's this sort of commotion, then goes into the bank. Jacob's the only one who really belongs there. Newt's just sort of walking by, but Jacob's on a mission, and he wants to, he he needs to, he's going to take out a loan. He's got a suitcase of his absolute top homemade donuts. I, I, I don't even know how he made it without a proper you know, like kitchen, how he made all these wonderful samples. But he's really wearing his life on his his heart on his sleeve here. In in in, he's putting himself out there. He's probably never been more vulnerable uh, than he is when he when he has to go to the bank and ask for this loan. And it's just so telling that within a, the first two minutes of the movie, when they're in the, when he's in the bank and Newt walks in and sits down next to him. And he says, "What are you? What are you? What are you in for?" You know, he strikes up the conversation with a complete stranger, which, by the way, excellent character trait. 
Um, that's how you do humanizing people. Uh, that's how you do. That's how you socialize. That's how. That's a great human to be. Um, when Newt carelessly just says, "Oh, same as you," I'm here for the same reason as you are. Jacob says, "You here to get a loan to open up a bakery?" And he's crestfallen. But then he's like, "Huh? Well, may the best man win." And reaches over to shake Newt's hand. There's your Jacob. There's your Jacob. Like, it, of course, it's a humorous thing because it's like, oh. You're here to get a loan? Oh, man, now I'm screwed. But when he, when he, after a few moments of quiet resolve, says, may the best man win, to a perfect stranger, that's the only character defense you ever need for Jacob, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that he's somebody who we can all relate to yeah. on a number of different levels. Uh, but I think you he's set up in a way that you, he goes to the bank for this loan. He doesn't get it. The deleted scene with his fiance, where she leaves him, <sighs> he's even more heartbroken. And then he goes back into his apartment, you know, staring at the photo of his grandmother. Sorry, who he's grandma. trying to, you know, uh, honor, make proud. Yeah. yeah. And and then what happens? You know, he gets attacked by uh, the Mertlap. And his entire life, I mean, his entire life changes when he bumps into Newt, right? It's not its not just um, in the scene where he gets attacked by the beast, but mm-hmm. it's really in that, that those transferring of suitcases. You know, you can draw, um, you know, some sort of, of inference out of that, right? You know, it's like Newt gets the boring uh, suitcase with some pastries inside <laughs> of it, and Jacob ends up with, with this suitcase that is going to forever change his life, and... It, it, it you're setting him up initially as this very broken down individual who has fallen on hard times. As you said, he's back from the war. He's fought for his country. He's doing a job day in and day out, working long hours. He doesn't like it. He wants to pursue his dream mm-hmm. and just keeps getting knocked down and knocked down and knocked down. And then all of by a sudden. By the man. Yeah, by the man who, you know, is showering later on in the, in the <laughs> film as the Thunderbird flies over the sky. That's so, right, that is that uh, guy. Uh, anyway, the point being... Though, I was talking that, about the capital M, man. <laughs> oh, uh, you no, know, I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but no, it, it's it's sort of a reversal of fortunes, and, and now he's in a place where, you know, he's not all that comfortable, but you see over time he really starts to enjoy, and he's meeting people that despite being in a completely different world he connects with you know maybe he doesn't connect with tina as much but he connects with queenie obviously mm-hmm. he connects with newt and uh, newt connects with him right at the end of the film we hear him say that you're my friend you're my friend and and from what we understand newt doesn't have too many of those he may have a suitcase full of beasts but he doesn't have too many friends exactly and so um that it goes back to Jacob being the lifeblood of Fantastic Beasts. And so I don't know how you do that, how you establish a character like this and and not make them integral moving forward. Yeah, yeah. So here, here are some quotes uh, that I gathered from the, the special features on Jacob. Um, the, the name of the feature at it's about five minutes is called The Nomadge Baker. Um, Fogler talking about you know Jacob's relationship with Newt 
says, I basically teach him how to be a person with people. And that that's right. There's actually a lot of delicious solo time between just Jacob and Newt in this film. And the, it does have a humanizing effect. Like you just said, you know, Newt calls Jacob his friend. That's a big deal and goes out of his way to and, and donates the Akami eggshells, which, I mean, I know they, Newt, they cost nothing to Newt, and nor would he keep them for monetary gain anyway. But, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a gift that you give to a friend. This is, I'm going to help you out in your life in a very tangible way because you've helped me out in mine. And also, Dan Fogler, who, who is amazing, and you just have to watch every single interview he's ever given because he's the most, again, just like his character, genuine, generous guy, hilarious, imaginative. Um, his quote from, from the Blu-ray special features is referring to the story as a fairy tale. Because the baker, or a baker, has appeared in fairy tales before. You just think of him as, oh, the baker. Uh, and he's also in Beauty and the Beast. There goes the baker with his tray like. All right. He, quote from Dan is, you can take this baker and put him into any fairy tale you know. At his core, he's that very simple, palooka, lovable guy. And so Dan actually elevates his portrayal of Jacob into more of a uh, a classic, you know, archetype of the good guy, who's not the hero, but the good guy. And I think it fits. Yeah. And then you have that quote just below it from J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Uh, which says, Jacob is the innocent in this world. He accidentally tangles with this wizard and then, bless his heart, he's along for this crazy ride. But he shouldn't be on it at all. And Newt shouldn't have befriended him. And this is uh, where I get nervous because, because of that of this, last because of this. Yeah, Newt. Yeah, because uh, now he's going to die because Newt. Newt. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which I think, you know, taking a a, a step back from that though, mm-hmm. the question of why take Jacob on this ride of a lifetime, mm-hmm. only to have it taken away at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and we can talk about whether or not he really remembers what happened does he partially remember what happens you know when queenie walks in and he sees her and he touches the mertlap bite is it all come flooding back to him uh in in one moment there uh but at least for that moment where he's out there in the rain we're led to believe that this has all been a joyride and now it's ended. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, you know, and, and part of what I don't really like either is the quick payoff, right? So you had that moment where supposedly all the memories that he has just experienced over the course of the last several days have been erased. And it's heart-wrenching too, by the way, but, but again about, but his character though, not to interrupt, but his character accepts it. And that's the biggest moment ever is when he's like, ah, I was never supposed to know about this anyway, you know? And he's like, it's okay. I'll be fine. You know? And really means it. I mean, he, he's met three of the coolest people who've inducted him into their, their, their shtick. And they say, you're one of things like you're one of us. And he just accepts that, Serafina Pickery, this this dictator, I mean, she's not, but she just arbitrarily is like, there can be no exceptions. You need to obliviate this man. And they've spent the whole film saying, 
you know, oh yeah, we're gonna need to wipe your memories later. And and you know, he just accept he goes with it. He's like, Okay, I wasn't I wasn't supposed to know. Like, yeah, it hurts like hell, but I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna fall on that sword. And he, he does. He's willing to lose it. That that's what makes him deservant of all of our love and affection and of having his memory back is the fact that he would give it up for the, for like some arbitrary unfair law which is reductive and and even Newt points out is is age old or outdated and and not relevant, you know, to today. And what I was going to say is not more than 5 minutes later you're in the end scene with yeah, them inside the bakery. So are you getting the payoff that quickly that he has some recollection. I mean, clearly he remembers something because yeah. he's creating all of these pastries that look like Nifflers and and rumpets and and well, that's many the of joke. the other beasts. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the joke. But yeah. and and I think it may have been you that mentioned this on um, a couple of uh, podcasts back when we were first talking about the film. Is that it said that this sort of venom that comes from the swooping evil yeah. is supposed to erase bad memories. Mm-hmm. Now. If I'm Jacob, a lot of what I've experienced isn't all bad. No. So is it just certain pieces that have been erased from his mind? Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair question. Well, well, here's here's I I love that we're going to talk about this because there's really I noticed on the latest rewatch there's really five explanations for why Jacob still has memory. There's five. Like J.K. Rowling, in true Joe fashion has through this movie in the final product of this movie given us so many reasons why Jacob should still have his memory if you really think about it so number one the rain uh, and what you're saying about the swooping evil only taking away I mean it's said in the film you know bad memories so there's so there's that like he might instantly just through being in the rain not be wiped of all of his memory then there's the notion that uh, Queenie actually comes out and she gives him a kiss. This is two reasons in one. Number one is when she's kissing him, there's an umbrella over them. So he doesn't get exposed to the rain for, you know, the full duration of whatever you you make the argument. He, he's being sheltered by, by the, the, the umbrella that's over them both. Uh, the third reason that I have is that Queenie, being a legilimens, being somehow telepathic, when they kiss... Is she actively doing – this is something – I mean this is fanciful thought, but is she doing something to restore his memory or is she doing something to prevent the loss of his memory? Is she buffering him? Can you? Can she do that? There's so many aspects of Queenie's form of uh, legitimacy that we just don't know about, and I'd love to believe, even though it's not on the page in the script, that she's actively – you know, performing some kind of magic. It also gives her a hand in in saving him, you know, because she does. She clearly doesn't want to say goodbye to him completely either, and it kind of sucks that she has to. So I'd like to believe that, that that's a factor. And then, you know, another reason is uh, he's still got the bite, so there's, you know, they haven't removed it completely, so there's still another way for him to reach up and feel something that he just can't explain and that, that, that niggling sort of idea or behavior causes him to eventually like his right. body just forcibly you know we never yeah we never get the full explanation either as to what the impact of having a bite like this from a mertlap is right we mm-hmm. we know that he can basically fart fire uh, 
that's if he's uh, poisoned, I think, or something. But, but yeah, he 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 has some kind of reaction, and it Newt in the script it says it has to do with his blood too. Like it's some kind of chemical reaction that causes that bite to be. I don't want to say more than just a bite because that's dangerous, but it's you know it affects him in a in a weird, unexpected way. And and let's talk about his blood for a second. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's any chance that there's magical ability here? Because I would actually feel a bit cheated if that were to be the case. So you're referring to this tweet we got from Maggie, yeah, who said, "I wonder if Jacob." has magic blood in his ancestry. He didn't react to magic the way a nomad scared of magic would. Maybe he's a squib. I think that this film, I think in the Gigawater scene, when he first arrives at the uh, speakeasy, it shows that he cannot see house elves. I think the film is pretty clear that he cannot see the house elf. And, I, and separately for... Ten other reasons. I don't think it's likely that he's a squib. I think I think he is as advertised, just a muggle, probably not with any magical blood. But there's still something in his blood, and it it is a plot point to where I can see why this question would would be asked. There is something about you know Newt mentions the blood chemistry of wizards and nomads being different, and for some reason this bite does hurt him. And there is something in that about Jacob, but I, I'd like to believe that he is actually just a muggle. And what you were saying about it, you know, cheapening the I, I, the cell, like if he's a wizard or a squib, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and I think that there is the chance, though, that there are certain things that he may be able to be taught, right? We've never seen a character who starts out as being purely non-magical potentially acquire abilities that are magical. So I think there's an opportunity here uh, and 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 maybe we're, I'm completely off base and maybe he's going to stay as Jacob the Baker uh, but I can't believe that because he's got to have a bigger role to play. And, and one thing that I thought about was you know, maybe he is the one that's going to bridge the gap between these two worlds. You know, maybe he is because he's seen, you know, Newt, Tina, Queenie, others, and, but he's coming from the non-magical world. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something about him that will allow for, you know, there's so much tension going on. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I could see him as being like, um, you know, almost like a an arbiter of an of, of envoy sorts. or yeah well i i think that we 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 can only use the existing film as 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 a source right as an example for what you know we think could happen and you know there is a a senator in this movie um i think he, he's killed uh but you know uh, you know jacob is in the same city as him i i think that knowing these films won't center on america and that they are going abroad brings a lot of interesting you know further questions because it's really just in America that they have this backwards still not entirely assimilated into you know a, a sort of don't speak sort of culture about it and and it's it's all backwards but like outside of America you don't you almost don't need a, a muggle to bridge that gap in America you absolutely do and I can see Jacob being useful if people are staying there or if there's if there's work to be done 
you, you know, like uh, maybe introducing muggles to the concept of magic. Like, here, have some of my pastries. These pastries are magic. Uh, now you're okay with magic. Boom. Um, you know, something, something like that versus taking him out of his element. He's got to be something different. He's got to play to one of his other so strengths. He, he's going to kill Grindelwald or, <laughs> or he's going to provide Dumbledore with uh, well, a really uh, you know, moldy croissant. I, a moldy to, croissant. Uh, I did. I did yeah. note he, he has one. Newt has a jerk move. Uh, we talked about this during Queenie's discussion last week where he goes to leave when they first get there. Jacob's jerk move is he hits Newt with a suitcase. Newt just assures him that he's gonna that uh, the obliviation or whatever is is not gonna hurt when he because Newt actually does try to do the right thing at first. And Jacob, who has just experienced something he cannot comprehend or explain uh, in a bank robbery that, where an alarm is constantly going off, just kind of reacts out of self defense. You couldn't even call it a jerk move. It is self defense, but thwaps Newt with his with his suitcase. A lot, a little bit of slapstick there uh, for slapstick lovers. And I think that should be something that that character retains in the future. Oh, but he's also the person to punch out Narlac. Um, and there's a great there's a great. <laughs> I mean, who character. doesn't want to punch? Ron well, Perlman. who doesn't want to punch that guy, Ron Perlman? Yeah, but you know when he, he wasn't does, in the holiday. when he does it, he says uh, reminds me of my foreman. And there's just such a beautiful character moment in that where, you know, we all kind of have difficult relationships with our bosses at different times. It's that further relatability of it all. Um, yeah, I, but yeah. I think what he does is is he sort of humanizes the the wizarding world, right? And, and yeah. you know, I, I was talking about bridging the gap between the two worlds. It doesn't necessarily, now that I think about it, have to be, you know, the one responsible for resolving all of the... Um, strife that's going on between magical and non-magical, but I think for us as as viewers, right, where we're able to relate well with Jacob because we feel like he does as he goes through and experiences everything, mm-hmm. um, really uh, for the first time. But um, but we're able to um, even relate to you mentioned the foreman, right? And and I I, I just think overall. You know, as as he's experiencing things in the early part of the film, there's a lot of um, points of comparison for for us. So, mm-hmm. um, I I think that he is a great character. Can't wait to see more of him um, in upcoming films. And uh, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on him before we get to some of the questions yeah. and responses from um, our patrons as well as some listeners on Twitter. Yeah, we got we got a lot of really good feedback we're going to we're going we're going to read. Um but uh just just again further talking about his usefulness and and his role in the quartet or what he's able to do. Uh you know, he is the one who locates the rumpant after all. Newt asks him, you know, what is the most like planes that, that you've got, and he says, oh, so, you know, Central Park, I'll I'll show you. Um, you know, Newt has that that knowledge, or sorry, Jacob has that knowledge that Newt lacks about, specifically about New York. Um, it's possible Tina and Queenie could have said, or would have said the same thing. Central Park's a fairly big deal. Um, Micah, you, you're aware, I mean, p- people talk about it, you know it's there, right? In, in Manhattan? 
Yes, I've been there a few <laughs> times. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's it's. I haven't seen any rumpus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but Newt does or Jacob does deliver that crucial piece of information to Newt for Newt. But once you take Jacob out of his element, out of the Muggle New York, what you know, getting into some of the questions that people are going to be asking. What right. That, I th- what does that look? I like? I think that's the biggest question, though. Is yeah. is that you know has he served his purpose? Has he played his role? I mean, we've heard even from. Um, blanking whether it was Heyman or Yates, saying, you know, as we move forward, the focus becomes less and less on this core four, but then the question would be, why introduce this core four? Why put so much emphasis on them? Uh, We know that the story is going to be shifting. We know we're going to be getting more Dumbledore, more Grindelwald, more of that story. Uh, But clearly, Newt, his family, his brother, are are very closely connected to uh, what we you know, have come to know as as the defeat of Grindelwald, uh, you know, and and that's ultimately where we're getting to in 1945, mm-hmm. but we have to get there. And it it's hard right now because we don't have the books to fall back on. We can't go and say, okay, we know what's going to happen now in the mm-hmm. next movie because we read Chamber of Secrets. No, it's not how it works. Um, <laughs> there are going to be pieces that we know um, and, and conclusions we'll be able to draw. Things will get right. Things will get wrong. Uh, characters that we're familiar with, those that we'll be meeting for the first time and, and will play an integral role. But I think that's so m- much the point is that, and, and what we can have fun with here is that we don't know and and nothing is out of the realm of possibility. And the chances that we get it right is probably less than 5%. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but one other thing I want to do... Um, mentioned before we we kind of get to the the listener responses and I, I touched on it a little bit uh, uh, at the very top when we were talking about what first comes to mind I said constant liability yeah do you think that he is vulnerable do you think he can be used against Newt you know how much does Grindelwald really remember uh you know Jacob um mm. not that he can't learn about him in in some way uh but you know, certainly, Serafina Pickery knows about Jacob. I'm not saying she's gonna give him bad. up. Yeah, I don't. I don't really see that. But I, I see. Where, I see where you're, I see where you're asking. Like, is is he vulnerable? Yes. I mean, even in this film, his skull is susceptible to breakage under immense force. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a liability. I. I I could see exactly why you're asking this. And 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 you know, typically, if if you're it's like bringing a, a pen to a to a, a, a gunfight, bringing a sword to a gun, whatever that saying is. Um, Either way, you know, he's a person. <laughs> pen without, sword not going to do as as anything. Pens are not going to. I don't know. The pen Unless is mighty. It's a James than, Bond. Uh, yeah, you know. it's James Bond pen. You click it three times. Um, I'm invincible. He basically is without magic. No, he is without magic, and therefore, in a wizard's duel, would absolutely be flattened. Um, and yes, it's a liability in, in that way too. He essentially cannot defend himself through magical means. Does that mean he cannot participate in the upcoming war or help out in any reasonable way? Well, actually, hell no. Uh, I don't think it means that at all. I mean, the, the rise of Grindelwald, uh, at least in, in the original Harry Potter books, I always saw as a, a World War II Hitler allegory, um, right? It's 1945, when he's defeated, it's right around the time of, and, and it's congruent with World War II. In this film, 
World War One is mentioned. Newt was riding dragons, and Jacob was over there as well. Actually, in a deleted scene, Jacob's brother, also a war hero or veteran, um, you know, who is not mentioned in this film. Therefore, he's not as necessarily canon. Newt's brother is over there. You get a lot of these guys with war experience, and this is just what you do at the time. You're an able body, and, and you're drafted, and you fight. And you fight for your country, and, and I think Nate, uh, Jacob w- was probably trained. Uh, now, I, I'm not 100% clear on what the expeditionary forces uh, are. Jacob does the hand motion of digging, like he dug out uh, probably some you know ruined towns that have been destroyed in bombings and this, that, the other thing. I'm not sure if that's a, a combat situation necessarily. It seems like it might have been after. Um, but, you know, ultimately— He's seen war. Jacob has seen some horrible things. It makes his character stronger for for still choosing to be so optimistic and hopeful when he's seen such horror. But I mean, if he was excavating ruined buildings, he's absolutely seen as you know bodies and as bad as it possibly gets. And I think that he's in in those ways prepared for what's to come. And he's not he's not going he's not like a child. We can't think of him as like a like a like. Harry without powers or, you know, any any of those sort of characters. I think that he will be put to use. I think that Joe is skilled enough that, you know, and I think the investment has been gained from the audience. It's not easy to make us love, maybe it is for Joe, uh, you know, a character. But I think she'll find a use for him that, that's really quite fitting um, in, in the future. And, you know, some people already, our listeners writing in, are suggesting that maybe Newt's or maybe Jacob's whole thing will be he helps Newt with the beasts, which was a a fun part of this movie as well. When he's when he's feeding the beasts for Newt, maybe Jacob stays safe by staying in Newt's case the whole film and is just comic relief for when they need to go and hide out and huddle up and figure out what the how to move the rest of the plot forward. I mean, so I, he becomes a an assistant of sorts, is an it? assistant or a colleague or you know just just a guy who for very good reasons, can't leave the case. Yep. Well, no, and again, as I was saying before, I I think any theory is a good theory, right? At Mm -hmm. this point, we can't dismiss anything because it it could all be possible. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. One thing I do know, though, um, and I did want to end this discussion without uh, mentioning it, is, and pretty sure we talked about it on another episode, uh, but... There is a mention of of another Kowalski in a article by Ginny Weasley um, many years oh. actually, in present time. Um, his name is Quentin Kowalski, and he's a chaser for the 2014 uh, American National Quidditch team. And uh, that, to me, is no coincidence. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, it's very clear that this is a either grandson or, or great-grandson of um, of Jacob's. And, and if he's and magical, if he's playing Quidditch, he's absolutely probably teeny, or Jesus, Queenie, uh, you know, is probably yeah. the wife, is probably right. his great-great-grandmother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think we can at least uh, have faith in the fact that Jacob will be around for another movie or two, if uh, oh yeah, because uh, so so many people have written in, um, and and you know people I've spoken to, you know they they, they think 
he's going to be killed off at some point. And that's uh, the question, though. That's Is there some sinister... We're going to read these questions, but is is there some sinister motivation to keeping Jacob around past this point? There's a very real feeling that perhaps... Per, maybe, you know, Jacob's Ark is complete. He got his bakery. Leave him alone. You know, don't don't take him into this this world for danger because we care too much about him. If you do, the only thing, the theory is that the only thing, the only useful thing J.K. Rowling can do with him is kill him. And that's, I'm, I'm troubled by that. Um, but yeah, let, let me actually, uh, so getting into some of our, our Patreon uh, questions um, here, there's Hayden Bowers who writes in, this also has to do with last week's discussion of Queenie, but I keep hearing the theory that Jacob is going to die because everyone loves him, he's a muggle, and might do something heroic and die in the process. The theory I have, though, is that Queenie will be the one to die, saving Jacob. I feel like it's also more unexpected. Why would the witch who can defend herself die instead of the muggle? I think it would be much more impactful for Queenie to die saving the muggle something that most wizards would find idiotic because who would save the muggle? But I think Queenie and Jacob will be in love, maybe even marry, and then she will die to save him and give him the motivation and then fight even harder for a war that's not of his world. Right. I, I, I think that ties in nicely to what uh, we were just talking about. Yeah, and, and Laura Morrow on Twitter. So, muggle friends, I adore Jacob. I was wondering, is there any hope that he won't die a sad death? I love him so much. And Ethan Craig, to me it feels like they're all trying to keep Jacob out of the war, and we know Joe loves to show the casualties of war. I think it's clear that Jacob and Queenie have a bond that will show up in the movies, but it will be his death that motivates Queenie, or his own personal growth that aids in Grindelwald's destruction. I, I just want to say something to all of our listeners everywhere right now, um, which is, I mean, well, obviously thank you for writing in this stuff, but... Try and have a little hope. Try and have a little hope because I do. <laughs> because I do that Jacob there is no hope and here. Queenie will both make it out of these. I'd like to believe it's at least a possibility. Remote, we can argue You know what the odds are. Never tell me the odds on May the 4th, Micah. Um, but, or Revenge of the 5th. Don't tell me them tomorrow either. But you know we can argue, but I really truly believe... And I honestly mean this, that there's a possibility neither Jacob nor Queenie will die. And certainly not that they're that it's predestined or that they have to. You know, these questions just make me laugh hard on the inside. But I'd, I'd, I'd like to believe in a world where there's hope. And you know how many people died in, in Harry Potter as well? J.K. Rowling will never finish apologizing for all of the people that she killed um, you know, fictitiously. Or maybe she will because uh, she won't end up tweeting uh, next year after all the backlash. All the uh, backlash, yeah, maybe she will. She got. But, but, I mean, she killed so many people in Harry Potter, I'd like to believe she can actually do something different, too, other than killing people in war. Maybe this yeah. is a series, maybe Fantastic Beasts is a series where all four main characters live and there aren't any peripheral casualty collateral damage and all the characters we love will stay alive. Let's just... Let's just humor me here and and try and and see a, po a light of positivity where Jacob doesn't have to die and another character be inspired by his death to act out and choose good over evil and all and, right all right yeah. all right I, I, yeah I get what you're saying uh, let's 
go to this question because yeah. I think it actually aligns with what you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. It's from Thunder Puffer, okay. which it's not about uh, whether or not uh, Jacob's going to make it uh, in future films. <laughs> Uh, it's a little bit on the uh, the lighter side of things. And uh, they ask, if the next film takes us to Paris and the UK, do you think the quartet will set foot in Hogwarts? Is Jacob one of the few muggles to experience it? Uh, as far as his strengths, I could see Newt training him to care for the beasts and reside in the suitcase part-time, which, Eric, you mentioned, or be a trusted advisor and liaison for the muggle world uh, when they travel abroad. Also, I agree that his military background will prove valuable Let's theorize. Mugglecast always. All right. Oh, All thanks, right. Thunder Puffer. Um, I I do hope that um, if all four of them don't end up at Hogwarts, though I think it would be cool for the Ilvermorny portion of, of the quartet to step foot inside of Hogwarts, as well as, obviously, Jacob, who, um, I, who, I mean, unless there's some special circumstances, he can't even see the place. No, so, this, this is what I want out of the movie immediately is for them to go to Hogwarts and for Jacob to actually just see that sign that says like dangerous ruin, do not go, you know, the, from it's mentioned once in the books or twice in the books from Hogwarts, a history where if a muggle shows up actually can find Hogwarts, which is hard to do anyway. If a muggle is there, it's sort of like a dilapidated ruin. Uh, and, and I'm sure it looks nothing like the, the majestic castle that it is. It's probably an uninteresting ruin. Um, with a sign saying keep out like I want their experience to be this is amazing we're at Hogwarts finally kind of a cool school Newt you were right this is the better school uh, to heck with Ilvermorny and Jacob to just be like I for them for the camera actually to show (laughs) Jacob's like this is this there's nothing here (laughs) you know yeah and and what I think though um, is going to be very important is the relationships that get created in these different parts of the world as we head towards the the battle, yes. right? As we head towards World War Two, if that's you know, which is really ten, what, ten or twelve right. or fourteen years away. Yeah, but we see that Newt is laying groundwork in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and next we know we're going to Paris. So, will we end up at some of these other places? Maybe some that have come up on Pottermore, just given that. Newt is a traveler and he obviously goes to places based on the beasts that he is trying to help or trying to study. So I, I think it's going to be immensely important, much like, you know, in Goblet of Fire, they talk about how, uh, you know, coming together as a community with, with uh, Bobaton and, and Durmstrang. And, mm. and we see some of that payoff later on in, in the series. Some. I think it's a very similar thing. Um, you know, as we saw the, the gathering of all those world leaders in New York, um, it's going to be immensely important for them to have these connections to different parts of the world, especially as Grindelwald starts to rise to power. I mean, he's not there yet, mm-hmm. and you know, he didn't even seem, to me, that intimidating of a person. Um, <laughs> Grindelwald? Fr- <laughs> no. Okay. But maybe it was Johnny Depp that died. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, Captain Jack Sparrow. The film so, is the film is light on the rhetoric, but he's actually very terrifying uh, to most of Europe right now. Well, according to the the opening credits. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, even his graves. Like, I mean, sure, he was a bad dude handling yeah. him, all those horrors very, very easily in that scene. But 
you know, he had moments where he could have killed Newt. He could have killed Tina. He, he, you know, and, and he chose not to. So, well, he did schedule them to be executed. Oh, that's true. Yeah. No, but, but I mean, this isn't the Graves discussion after all. There will be one of okay. those. Yeah. But anyway, just to, um, I guess to end on a bit of a lighter note here, mm-hmm. um, Irvin asked a question over on Patreon. He said, um, Jacob's the best. I'm curious how he took silver eggshells to a bank as collateral. Yeah, if you really think about it, it kind of falls apart, doesn't it? Because on the one hand, these are silver, and silver is valuable, but they're eggs, and isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, try out these uh, Akami eggs. Yeah, you've never heard of Akami? I don't even know what an Akami is. Yeah. I don't. I shouldn't even know that word. Well, actually. it's corneptixic. It's uh, a. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's shrinks to fit available. So I, 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 he would have passed them off as a, um, like a handmade, like a designer, like this. Mm-hmm. It's for some reason. Well, they're silver, I guess. Yeah, you know, it's like, uh, or you could melt them down. Ultimately, that would weigh a lot. But uh, mm. anyway. Uh, a lot of great um, tweets, a lot of great emails, a lot of great thoughts um, from listeners, from patrons on Jacob. Uh, would definitely encourage those of you who are listening to send us your thoughts following the discussion that we had today. Mm-hmm. Um, we will continue to do these character discussions. I'm not sure exactly who's up next. Maybe we'll make it a surprise unless, Eric, uh, you want to throw somebody out there. But uh I think we really enjoy doing these discussions, and yeah. there's certain characters clearly that we just don't know a whole lot about. So it's a lot of theorizing. It's a lot of taking what we've seen from the film, other things that have popped up in different places, whether it's on Pottermore or tweets from J.K. Rowling. So Yeah, the, pick, the pickery stuff. There's a lot of pickery stuff on Pottermore. Yeah, so a lot of good discussions to come, and, and hopefully – you know, we continue to get additional casting news on uh, Fantastic Beasts 2, um, which hopefully the name will change because I, I just I can't see that being uh, <laughs> Fantastic name, Beasts and also uh, where to find them um, moving forward. Yeah, but, r- r- we're wrapping up the, the Jacob talk. Uh, we did have a tweet from Felicia G who said, I just found this blurb about Jacob in an Entertainment Weekly from November 2015. Does anyone remember this as his original plot? So I think this was the issue where they first announced who the quartet was. But there's a, a picture uh, that she sent in. It says, Dan Fogler is Jacob Kowalski. And here's the description. An optimistic nomad factory worker slash aspiring filmmaker who gets introduced to the Wizarding World when he meets Newt. This aspiring filmmaker... Uh, yeah. aspect of his character is definitely cool. not in there definitely not in there uh in fact forcibly removed i i would argue it's well it's no look, longer i i wouldn't like if the series went into this way it's too meta things change it's uh, yeah it's too it's meta. cool things change but those are the types of things though too that you know could be important it, it, i'm not saying the filmmaker piece specifically but mm. you know as you come across these types of things just think to the the letter uh that um was found from Theseus to Newt. Yeah. Uh, those are the types of things that provide a little bit more context to um, where we're going in the future. So I think that, you know, it, it's cool that that article uh, exists, but inevitably uh, 
I don't know that it's going to play that much of a role moving forward. Who knows? No, yeah, it was just it was just maybe. a cool thing that people are writing in. Um, we asked for you know thoughts on Jacob, uh, and and then again just to, to wrap it up, uh, not to go over long, but there's two other quotes from the bonus features. Um, Allison describes Jacob as having. She says there's a sense of true good old fashioned gentlemanliness um, in him, which I agree about. And David Heyman, who has the final word, says on Queenie and Jacob's relationship, they both embrace the good in life. Um, and, and that is why we need those characters. The fact that the first two character discussions were these bubbly, happy, you know, optimistic, hopeful, intelligent, um, competent people yeah, who we want to see more of only serves to bolster and, and shoot us off in a, in a, in a great trajectory. The horrible people are up next. (laughs) That's what Eric's trying to say. Uh, And, um, you know, sort of in in celebration of uh, Jacob, before we wrap up um, the episode today, uh, we're going to do a segment that we've done quite a few times on the show, uh, a dueling club, (laughs) but it is going to be Nomad Edition. Mm. So it's going to be fisticuffs, (laughs) throwdown, no yeah. wands allowed. Yeah. So, um, Eric, I will I will leave this up to you. We will each choose one and uh, then wrap things up here. Okay. Um, so we got to pick a muggle character and then on the count of three say who they are? Yeah. All right. All right. I got it. Um, now, is it is it all of Potter or is it just Fantastic? It could be all of Potter. If you can think of okay. other muggles, I guess Frank. All right, I'm- Oh, yeah, I'm not going to give too many examples because that would ruin it. Um, All right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, go. Shaw Sr. Mr. Bingley, who did you say? I said uh, Shaw Sr. Shaw Sr. Oh, man. Oh, that's that's really good. Henry Henry Shaw, I guess, Mm -hmm. is it? Henry Shaw. Mm -hmm. Shaw Sr. Yeah, Lang Langdon is the younger brother. Henry Shaw Jr. is the senator, and Henry Shaw Sr. is the one played by John Voight. Owns a paper. Okay, so Mr. Bingley. And who did you pick? Mr. Bingley is the guy at the bank who denies Jacob's loan. Um, I gotta say, dude, you picked the one, the one character. I'm like, huh? <laughs> You're would... not supposed to support my. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? No, Mr. Bingley. Uh. Y- y'all know that that Henry Shaw Sr. is not really as rich as uh, as he he claims to be. He owns uh-huh. a paper. The paper's probably mostly in debt. And who is he going to turn to when he needs a loan? He's going to turn to Mr. Bingley, baby. And Mr. Bingley's going to deny Henry Shaw's loan because the banks need protecting. And Mr. Right. Yeah, that's he's gonna he's gonna whoop your character's butt. Well, look. Uh, Did I talk dirty enough for you? <laughs> um, Shaw uh, is played by John Voight. And John Voight fought an anaconda, okay, which is the equivalent <laughs> of a basilisk. What is okay? this, six degrees of, of, of John Voight and, here? Yeah. He, and, and if he can take on the equivalent <laughs> of a basilisk, he can take on Mr. Figley or Bigley or whatever his Bingley. name is. Bingley. That too. The dude can barely even get out of his seat. He barely fit in the shower. You know, look. Oh my God. 
<laughs> do you think he stands a chance in like a street fight against John Voight, the yeah, guy John who a little stared older. down the face of an anaconda? What did he do in this movie that support that supports your? <laughs> kind of gives the evil eye. If you had said like, "Oh yeah, he gives a good evil eye," I'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, he sort of does." Um, I right. I, I don't know. Well, well, we'll the, we'll, the problem is here. We don't yeah. have anybody who can we don't have a third a arbiter. Damn. Uh, or, yeah. We don't so have, listeners, yeah, listeners, li- yeah. tweet at MuggleCast. <laughs> let us know who you think won, Shaw Senior <laughs> or Mister Figley. Bingley. <laughs> exactly my point. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good note uh, to to wrap things up on today. Mm-hmm. Um, as mentioned, uh, there's a number of ways that uh, you can get in touch with the show. Uh, one of them is tweeting at us at MuggleCast. Um, we're also at Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Yeah. You can send us an email, as many people uh have started doing uh, mugglecast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail, and that number is 920 muggle. That's 920 368 4453. Once Andrew uh, stops uh, downing pies at the Thunderbird, uh, <laughs> we'll make sure we get some voicemail. Homemade pies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On. Uh, some upcoming episodes. Uh, yeah. There is also a P.O. Box, right, Eric? Yes, it is. The address for the MuggleCast P.O. Box is as follows. 4044 North Lincoln, as in President Lincoln, Avenue, number 144, Chicago IL, 60618, USA. And uh, don't forget, you can also support the show on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash mugglecast. <laughs> patreon.com slash mugglecast. Yeah, you can tell it's the end of the show now. Uh, there's a, uh, a ton of benefits uh, that you will receive as a patron of the show, uh, including bonus mugglecast, some chapter readings featuring Southern Hagrid amongst other characters. <laughs> and uh, also, our Slug Club members, hey, here's a sticker update. Uh, we're going to be getting stickers uh, soon, and you can find out all about that additional Slug Club reward-level benefit uh, over on our Patreon at the time that this episode airs to the public. Uh, We have the designs, and they're fantastic, and you're going to like them. And, yeah, we'll we'll have more updates about that as as a, a display of our gratitude, as well as more of our Slug Club members themselves as guest hosts on the right. later episodes of this month. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a, a jam-packed, really full, really exciting month of May, or Battle of Hogwarts month. Uh, we will not be discouraged by J.K. Rowling's uh, lack of sympathy for killing Tonks or any other character. She Why she went for Snape, we may never know, but it'll be um, a beautiful rest. Or Hedwig. Or Hedwig. Yeah, Hedwig. You know what? I want I want the death of Hedwig uh, to be apologized for. Man, that was a little uh, excessive. So thanks to our patrons uh, for your support of the show. Yes. We really appreciate it. It is why we are doing weekly episodes now. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. Uh, we really appreciate your support of the show as well, sending in all your thoughts on the different uh, things that we discuss each and every week. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think so. That's it. We made it without Andrew. Hey. Uh. Okay. Well, that was a thing that we did, and uh, Andrew will be back 
for episode 320. Have a great yes. week, guys. We'll see you next week. For episode 320. 320. Bye. Bye.